Good morning, Revelation Church. <laughs> um, we're getting excited about saying good morning because if you don't know, this is our first time of meeting in the morning for five years and um, this is how it's going to be from now on. So if you're visiting us, um, 10.30 for tea and coffee, 11 o'clock, we gather in here to sing to the Lord. And then the, the aim is, is that the service will finish at 12.30, after which we'll go back out again and probably, I don't know if we're drinking any more drinks then, I'm not sure. Hospitality team, are there refreshments after the service? Great, thank you. Um, and um, and then I guess people will go for picnics or go out and have lunch places and stuff. So if you're a guest, please do hang around, find out what's happening. I'm sure there'll be something for you to join in with. My name's Steph, I'm one of the pastors here. And today we're into Ephesians chapter 6, the final chapter of the book of Ephesians. Um, I don't know if that's what whoop that means, but whether that means we're glad we're nearly through. And we've been in here for months. But it's been a good series, right? I mean, it's been a good series, covered all kinds of things. Um, where we're up to in the, now in the letter is 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 that um, the the man who wrote it, Paul, he has he what he tends to do in the letters that he writes, he he proportionately he wrote most of the New Testament, most of the, most of the Bible that was the bit of the Bible that comes after Jesus, Paul wrote um, in terms of the amount of books proportionately. And what he tends to do, he tends to spend the first half of the book in big theology, in terms of this is who God is, what God has done for us in Jesus, um, the gospel, what it means for us to be in Christ, those of us who have trusted in Christ. And he, 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 it's, it's elevated stuff. It's big, big heart, big mind stuff. And then, what, and then the second half is basically him saying, because of this, this is how we should now live. So he makes it really, really practical. So we're in the second half of the book, which is very practical, but it's not separate. It's, it's the logical outflowing of all that God has done for us through Jesus. Okay? It leads to a certain way of living. It's really important you see that. It's not disjointed. It's not, oh, well, we'll have the spiritual stuff and then we'll get practical. It's like once we realize who Jesus is, then there are implications for every part of life, every part of the way that we live and think and do what we do. So we're in the practical part and we're in the part which where Paul is talking about, this is what it looks like to live life full of the Holy Spirit. Um, so he's talked about singing uh, psalms and hymns and making melody in our heart. He's talked about that. Um, he's talked about how we should give give thanks in all things. And then he's talked about how we should submit to one another out of the fear for Christ. And he begins to look at certain relationships, three particular relationships, um, that involve some kind of authority. And he begins to help us understand what does it look like in the gospel? What do these relationships now look like in Jesus? We did marriage um, husbands and wives two weeks ago then we were not here last week because we were with the other two churches that we're friends with locally here celebrating easter and then now we're on to the second of those relationships which we will pick up ephesians chapter 6 which is the first four verses it's ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 to 4 and now all of these relationships in ancient times marriage children and parents and masters and slaves which we'll look at next week were all household relationships Okay, it's important that you realise that. This is, this is about life behind closed doors. We can, all, we can all put our best foot forward once we step outside of our home, can't we? We can iron our clothes and style our hair and keep our chin up and, and look half decent most of the time. But life behind closed doors is often a different story. Um, but God is very interested in who we are when no one's looking. Um, one of the things that God speaks most angrily about in the Bible is when people act a certain way in public, but in, on a privately very, very different from that. Because um, it's kind of like spiritual acting. 
and he hates it because it's it's it, it, it's all, it's worse than just being a total vagabond. You know, you can be a total vagabond, and that's not good. But at least at least you're being honest about who you are. Whereas if you're a vagabond in your heart, you know, and then you go outside and try and look all Christian, there's something even worse about that. It's like, oh no, don't don't do that. Whatever you do, okay. So whatever you do, don't just clean your act up on the outside. Because Jesus will say things to you like, you're a whitewashed tomb. Um, which is what he said to people in the Bible that were doing that. In the sense that, 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 that you, you look all sort of clean and freshly painted, but actually on the inside is just death. There's no life. Praise God that in Jesus, new life, when we join to him, his new life, his life flows into us and changes us from the inside out. All right? So it's really important. If you're here today and you're thinking about what does it mean to become a Christian, it starts with just crying out to Jesus and recognizing your need for him, your need for him in order that you might be forgiven for the things you've done that you shouldn't have done, things you haven't done that you should have done, your need, to, to, your need for power to live a life that's pleasing to God. These things are, these things are out of our reach. We, because of sin in our heart, we just we don't do it. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a disease that we all carry that we need cleaning from. And the Bible teaches that Jesus is the, the medicine, right? So that the answer is that the answer is a person, it's in him. So we come to Jesus, we allow him to genuinely, genuinely, not just some spiritual idea, some philosophy, we allow him by his Holy Spirit to, to come and indwell us. And he really does change us. Right? It doesn't mean that we become totally the finished product overnight, but it means that our centre changes. Before there were things we didn't want to do, now we want to do them. Righteous things. There were, there were things we really did want to do, <laughs> dark things. When we come to Jesus and he lives inside of us, we think it's our appetite for that changes. Now, I've known stories of people, people close to me, people in my life that have done, have come to know Jesus, have then tried to do things that they used to do, dark things, and have literally like, Vomited, you know, just literally been so. Uh, something inside them has just changed. They just can't do this anymore. That that's that, that's that's being born again. And also incredible stories of, of people that had no appetite for the things of God, but when when Jesus comes and dwells in you by His Spirit, you you suddenly realise, you suddenly get it. There is something, someone, transcendent above above anything I could ever have imagined, who does want to know me does love me and will take my life and, and, and make it something in him and will, will, will catch me up into his cosmic purposes. It's, it's incredible. It's the gospel. So, but it all starts with that Jesus crying out and he, the Bible says, call on his name and he'll rescue you. Okay? Don't try and clean your act up first. It's a disaster. It's, all, it's a real lie to try and clean your act up, then I'll come to Jesus because you can't. <laughs> Even if you turned over a new leaf and sorted your behaviour out, the, the disease of sin in our hearts can only be healed by a touch from Jesus. So you come, Jesus said, I've come for the sick. I've come to call the sick, not the well. And the bad news and the good news is, is that that's all of us, the sick. It's bad news because it's not nice to hear, but it's good news because it means Jesus has come to call us and wants to make us better. So this is this is the gospel. This is this right. So Jesus wants to deal with life behind closed doors, and this is what it looks like to be spirit filled. It, it eats it. It gets to the heart of our relationships. Today's children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. He's quoting there from the Ten Commandments. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger 
but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We just commit this passage to you, Lord, and pray that you'd help me to speak on it in a way that genuinely represents what you're saying and can really impact lives, I pray. Amen. So he's looked at husbands and wives. Now he's looking at children and he comes straight in with this children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, What's surprising about these passages is that he starts with the expected person. So in that culture, when you're talking about marriage, he starts with the wife in terms of you got to, you know, there's some things you've got to do here to make this work, which would have been expected in that culture because wives were seen as a property of their husbands and not the other way around. But then he comes and says, and husbands and brings just as strong um, instruction to them, which would have been very, very surprising. He does the same here. He goes in with children, obey your parents. It would, have, it would have been expected, but later he comes in fathers. We'll look at that in a minute. But what he's helping us to see is that, is that in the Lord, because both times, this is what it's like in the Lord. In the Lord, relationships change. When Jesus comes into a certain relationship, it changes it. So that there may be some things about it that culturally look similar to what we're used to, but there are things about it that radically change. Things that are really, really very, very surprising. And so children first, he says, obey your parents in the Lord. You see, in the Bible, obedience, good obedience, is always an expression of trust, an expression of love as well, actually. Jesus, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. So obedience and love, obedience and trust go together in the Bible. Um, it's, it, it's a sign that you really do love and trust someone if they're over you in the Lord. When you obey them, it's a sign that you love and you trust them. It's not, it's not a bad negative thing. Now, of course, there's small print. Well, what if they ask me to do this? There's always small print, but we don't make the small print the big print. We do the big print first, okay? And the big print is children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is, this is your worship. Now, all the minors have gone out. There's no one in here to preach to, preach to in that regard. Should have kept the youth in and eyeballed them at this point. <laughs> But it's important that we, that we realize those of us who um, have children or may have children in the future or have some kind of guardianship responsibility, which is akin to that kind of relationship, that obedience is appropriate. Okay? There is an authority that parents have whereby obedience from their children to them is appropriate. We need to say that because I think, I think perhaps in society today there's, a, there's so much negativity around the subject that people can't say that anymore <laughs> so many bad things have happened um so so many skewed examples of authority and obedience that everyone's just gone quiet now um but we must not throw the baby out with the bathwater in the lord so in the gospel in the new creation in in the new way of life in jesus it's totally appropriate for children to obey their parents that is what the bible teaches it is definitely if you can remember back to being a child or a teenager for a little while Particularly if you were in a Christian home, I'm sure you would have found it easier to say Jesus is Lord than to say, yes, mum, I'll take out the rubbish. Or yes, dad, I'll tidy my room. It's, it's easy to get spiritual, isn't it? You know, I can't, I can't tidy my room. I'm too busy praying. You know, that kind of, Jesus spoke to some people about that. He said, you, he said, the Bible says about honoring your parents. And you say to your parents, anything that I would have given to you, I'm going to, I'm going to, I give to the Lord as a kind of a, as a, as a spiritual thing. Jesus says to me, he says, like, you are nullifying God's commands in order to make good your own traditions and make it look really spiritual. You know, there's something really earthy about real spirituality. 
It's not about moving off somewhere, living in a remote cave and chanting. That is not genuine spirituality. Why? It's too easy. With all of its hardships, it's too easy. Why? Because there's no one else around. And it's when you're around people that you see what you're made of, am I right? It's not just parents and marriages, it's friendships, it's flat shares. That's when you see what you're about. When your guard is down, when you're living with people, when your life is, you're, you're, you're pushing up close, we see what we are about. And there is this obedience from children that is totally appropriate. As long as they're minors. It doesn't stay forever. There's an honouring of parents that remains forever. But there's an obedience when you're minor. When you are under the care of your parents, there's an appropriate obedience. And yet there is a lifelong honouring. Now, it's interesting here that Paul makes, Paul just says, oh, you know, did you ever notice that this is the first of the Ten Commandments as a promise with it? All the other Ten Commandments before this are just, just do this, do, but this one has a promise. If you obey your parents, if you honour your parents, you will live long in the land and you'll do well in the land that I'm giving to you. So it's very interesting that there's something about, um, as we honour those who have gone before us, it provides something of a, a safety, a security for those who come after us. Now, it's really easy not to honour. It's really easy to notice all the things wrong with your parents, isn't it? As you get older, you realise what an idiot you were when you notice so many things wrong with your parents because you start realising how many things are wrong with you as you get older more and more. And you begin realising how flawed we all are. And you think, gosh, even when our parents, even if you are, your parents did things that were particularly bad, which are inexcusable, even if that is the case, I would say we need to really guard against a harshness in our heart towards our parents. There's nothing like being a parent that makes you, makes you, you know, at times, you know, you think, gosh, I'm so thankful for the grace of God here. Because <laughs> this isn't easy. With all the wonders of it, this is not an easy deal. Um, life as a parent has its challenges. But there is something about, in God, honouring those who have gone before us, not because they deserve it by conduct even, but just out of the fact, I owe my life to you. I would not exist. I would not be here without you. I'm going to honour you in God. I'm going to honour you in the Lord. I'm going to find whatever ways I can with the kind of relationship we've currently got to honour you. And I'm going to trust that through that there will be a blessing that comes in the following generations. A generation that despises those that have gone before them is a generation on the brink of destruction. It's a generation that's in big trouble. And as does. So this is the countercultural thing going on here that we need to be very, very aware of. So that's the bit about the children. But let's focus on this next bit, which is the surprise, the surprise factor. Father, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. See, this is very, very interesting. In the Lord, the father here, suddenly he, he, he recognizes there's a call on him to serve his children. There's an authority, but there's a calling to serve his children well. Now, why the father? It's just worth asking that. Why doesn't it say parents? It says obey your parents. Why now does he focus particularly on fathers? To be honest, I don't know. It could be that fathers are more prone to provoke their children to anger than mothers. Um, that's, that's, that's possible. It's probably to do with the headship thing. He's particularly, he's particularly focusing on this whole idea of authority and submission. That's why we, when myself and Davina spoke two weeks ago, really focused on that because that's what he's focusing on. So maybe here the, the role of father as sacrificial head of home, servant head of home, but with that primary responsibility, Paul is particularly focusing on him saying, listen, set the tone right. 
Set the tone right in the home. Don't make it difficult for your wife, for the mother of your children. Don't make it hard for her to set a good tone. Pave the way. Pay the price to do it well. That's what headship is about. Paying the price, paving the way, sacrificially pouring yourself out to create a really, really good tone in the home. Now, beautifully, you see, Jesus is this. Jesus shows us how to do this. Jesus is the model of headship and he's the model of submission, isn't he? So he demonstrates what it is to be head overall and he does that by submitting completely to the will of the Father. Jesus calls for total obedience from his disciples and then models it by obeying the Father completely. Okay, So we're, we're, we haven't got someone here who's telling us what to do and saying, do what I say but not what I do. No, no, he's done it. He does it. He models it for us. So it's a, it's a, we can trust Jesus that he knows what you're saying when he does this. And so there's this call, particularly on fathers. Now, if you are here as a single mum, there has to be grace from God for you to do this, to be able to do this role. Plus, part of God's grace for you in this is that in the church family, you will provide father figures for your children. It's really important. It's part of God's grace to you. Um, I'm not speaking uh, on this subject out, out of ignorance at all. Um, my, my upbringing from the age of um, from the age of 12 was my mum and my sister and my two brothers. Um, and my mum did an amazing job. But I look back and I think, God, that was not easy. <laughs> wow, that was a real challenge. And I thank God for certain men who came came from from church. I think pretty much all the time who who were around, who would provide a sense of that fatherly voice into my life. Didn't always listen to it, but they were there when I needed them. I remember one one terrible night where I was, at this point, my, I'd made a decision not to be a Christian. Having understood the gospel, I said no. And when you do that, you're in a very vulnerable place. And I'd got into LSD and had the most horrendous experience. And I came in, I came indoors in the middle of a, just you wouldn't, the hallucinations, the craziness. And I came in, I was 17 years old. I came indoors, to, I had to run indoors like a, a little kid. And I said, I've taken acid. You've got, you've got to, I need help. And my mum thought I was drunk, like sulfuric acid, she didn't get it. And I was like, no, 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 you know. And she was like, oh, mate. Uh, and I remember her calling around um, the youth pastor from the church, who I hadn't seen for about a year. I knew he was the one who had said, no, I don't want to follow Jesus. She called him out. He sat with me through the night. And just provided a sense of safety in the middle of the madness. Didn't ask anything of me. Um, um, you know, it was, it was that moment. But it, it's part of God's grace. He provides people. And so if you are here in part of the church and you are raising children as a single mum, I just want to say that part of God's grace to you is that, is that you know, draw, draw alongside trusted. It's very important, trusted uh, men that, 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 can, that can be an appropriate, won't be the same, but an appropriate fatherly voice it's very very important we can do that so dads now everyone you if, if you're not a dad you've got to listen to this right this is this, even though this is two dads it's important that you all listen dads do not provoke your children to anger how can dads provoke their children to anger well there's so many ways um i guess maybe primarily before we get onto some of the detail it's either about giving too much space to your kids or not enough space neglect or oppression so some examples might be that you are uh, you 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 are over you overprotect your children. 
I've had this a couple of times. I've had a conversation with one of my children a couple of times where they've been very, very agitated and just said, you are treating me like a baby. All of my friends can do, 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 do. I can't do one of those things. And it's been a very important moment for me to stop and reflect and just, I've really got to hear. <laughs> I'm not going to react the other way and give them all the space that they want because that's not looking after them. But I need to listen to that because that can agitate a child to anger. I just feel there's no room to breathe here. You're overprotecting me. Or you can do the opposite and just give them no fences. Oh, they'll, fight. They'll, they'll figure it out. Well, they might not. <laughs> yeah, they might not. And there's a load of voices out there giving them all kinds of different fences and boundaries. So that can be one. Another thing could be that favoritism. You can treat your kids partially. Maybe you maybe you've naturally feel more of a, of, a, of, a, of a kindred spirit to one of your children than the other. Or maybe there are certain things about your child that are more like you. So you think, oh, 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 they're great, you know, typical self-worship nonsense, you know, and all of that. And what you can do is, is that you can, you can show favor to one, which is not loving them and definitely not loving the other or the others. You see it in the Bible, it's very destructive. You see numbers of times families where there's clear favoritism, it's so destructive. It, provokes, it can provoke anger from the one being made the favorite because they, they, it's a horrible pressure to live with. It can provoke horrible depths of anger and rejection and sadness in those who are clearly not. It's just, you know, it's really something you've got to watch. Really is something that you have to watch and make sure that you are not allowing an, an inch of that in your heart. You can be too close by trying to live out your dreams through them. All the things you never did. Trying to put it on them and they feel, what is this weight on me? <laughs> So you're trying to live out your dreams, the things you never did through them. That's, that's, that can provoke them to anger. Or you can cut them, cut them adrift way too early. You say, well, I don't want to do that. And so we just kind of figure it out. But there's no sense of giving them who you are. There's no sense of uh, allowing your presence and who you are and who they are in terms of belonging to you to be imbibed into them. They're cut adrift and they have not got enough in and of themselves to find their way through. Too much. Too little. Or there's this, this the, the one that I would say is, is rife in our, in, in our culture at the moment, which is perfectionism. Uptightness as parents. Uh, it's, you know, just don't, uh, uh, yeah, it's, don't run. I've seen, I've seen parents saying to the kids, don't run. It's like saying, don't be a kid. <laughs> don't run. Why not? You might fall over. Of course they're going to fall over. They're kids. Being a kid is about having scabs and scars. <laughs> it's part of it. Now again, it's not, you don't turn it crazy, but you've got to give you've got to give kids space. No mess, no adventure. No mess, no adventure. It's not. This is not going to bring life at all. It's like living in health and safety land indoors. It's like no, no. You know, don't do that. You'll you'll crush their spirit. They're not meant to be adults. They're not meant to be sensible. Don't try to make your kids sensible. Whatever you do, they're not meant to be. Who must have lived with sensible kids? I don't. I want to live with obedient kids, but I don't want sensible. I want crazy kids. You know, kids in the best sense, you know, kids are going to, you know, I'll give an example. There's my phone here. I was looking for WhatsApp today because I've been away for a week with no phone reception. I thought, oh, there might be some messages on WhatsApp. I can't find it. Oh, something's been grouped together here. WhatsApp and two others into a group. I didn't do it. What's the group called? Poo. 
There you go. That was my life this morning. That was my spiritual. I, I found out who did it. And I don't know how to undo it because they, they know that as well. So I've got a group called Pooh on my phone. It was the Vina, yeah. It was the Vina. It's fun. I mean, you know, it's fun. You don't want sensible kids. Um, what else? The other one is that you can provoke them to anger by not acknowledging the fact that they are growing in their personality and who they are. And so you can't still be treating them like three, four, five-year-olds when they're not that anymore. Because as they grow, they will develop their perspectives. They will develop their approach to life. And it may not be like yours, but it's not right or wrong, but it's not like yours. And you've got to make sure when that happens, you respect that and give that room to grow. Otherwise, they just feel suffocated. You don't want to make them into your image in that sense. There's certain things you want to stamp onto them, things that are to transcend your particular way, but you don't want to just produce clones. And then there's the Christian pressure. This isn't, this isn't nice, right? So trying to get your kids to pray the sinner's prayer. Then they're saved. They're not. You don't get saved by praying the sinner's prayer. You get saved by repenting of your sins and calling on the Lord Jesus Christ. Genuine faith. You can't force someone to become a Christian, to pray the prayer. You're looking for the life of God to come into them. That's so different from trying to get them to formulaically do something so you feel, phew. No. It's a full sense of security. Or trying to get your kids to behave like Christians. For goodness sake, people are watching. What an awful idea, behaving like a Christian when you're not one. You're going to produce a bunch of hypocrites, a bunch of prigs, a bunch of kids that know how to pray the right prayer and do the right thing. There's no life in their heart. You're producing whitewashed tombs. Now, of course, you've got to teach your kids orderly conduct, but don't try and, don't try and get them to do things that you can only do in the power of the Holy Spirit. If they don't find church interesting... And they've not yet met with the Lord. I don't blame them. I wouldn't find it interesting being here if I didn't know the Lord. It's because the Lord's at work in my life. I love being here. Make sense of it. Do you see what I'm saying? You don't want to produce. They're people. You have to respect the way God works with people. What he did with me, he'd do with them. It wasn't me, guys. It really wasn't me. Um. What else have I got here? Insensitivity to what God is doing in their life. You know, you had it all planned out how you wanted God to meet with them and make the, but they did, God's, God's doing it a different way. He's still doing it, but if you've got to be sensitive to what God's doing and how God deals with people, God treats his children differently, works with them. He's impartial, but you know, I'm impartial. I don't have favorites at all, but I work with my children differently. Why? Because they're such different people. God's the same. So we've got to be sensitive to what God is doing with our children. Do you, is this making sense? So you create an environment where there's space, there's room to breathe, there's room to grow, there's room to let God do what he does, but, so we're not provoking them to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What does that look like? We're going to end on, on it. What does it look like to bring your kids up? Well, instruction and discipline means content, so you're teaching them about the Lord, the gospel, there's, 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 there's uh, instruction, but discipline means that you're coming alongside them and you are engaging with them, coaching them into what it means for their life. It's not just 
random. It's not. Well, not random, It's not just facts. It's not just information. You're you're speaking from the heart. You're bringing the content from the heart. But you're you're helping them to develop foresight about life. If you carry on acting like this, you know, then imagine if you're still acting like this in ten years' time. What's that going to look like? You know, where's that going to go? You, you, we see a really good model in the book of Proverbs where a lot of the teaching is my son. And you've got a father talking to a son. And what he's doing, he's saying, look, go, get wisdom with all you're getting. Get wisdom. And he begins to help his son in terms of understand the rewards of, of fearing the Lord, the rewards of making right decisions. And, but then there's also warning as well. And then it also comes into discipline and, and, and the area of smacking. I'll talk about that in a moment. But there's, there's this full range of coming alongside affectionate warm conversation instruction there's a sense in which this child knows they are loved my son he knows they're being taught out of love and out of out of someone caring for them but there's real good instruction but there's they're, they're, as they're getting older there's a sense of you've got to understand implications and consequences and this is this is where this go, this is where this goes you teach them about faithfulness you're teaching them about what it is to be a true friend you're teaching them about these things so one of my kids has this really, we have this really funny banter about, are you my friend? And I'm like, no. And uh, he's like, oh, and I'm your dad. We'll be friends one day. And we talk, we, so we're talking about these things, our friends, about, you know, we, we, and, and it becomes a joke. And every day, the same thing is said. She says, are you, I'm getting away now, but anyway, you know, are you my friend? No. And then she says, you're not my friend anymore. So it's like a fun playground band thing, two or three times a day, right? But I'm trying to teach her, I'm your dad. Okay, so at the, I'm an, and I'll always be your dad, but I'm not going to relate to you like you do your friends in the playground. It's a different relationship. Okay, so I have loads of fun, loads of stuff, but I'm your dad, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm keeping that appropriate sense of dadness. Okay, and then what happens as you grow and as you mature, we'll grow into friendship. You bet we will. I hope with all my heart. Yes, I aim for our kids. That number one, they get to know Jesus. Number two, we'll be their friends. Two aims, very simple. Um, so I don't know what am I talking about. Um, <clears throat> so okay, how do you do it? How do you do this well? So um, you can give them real good books to read. Just to say on that, there's some really brilliant, inspiring Christian biographies which we we've give our kids to read, and it it really has, um, particularly one of them, really has had a huge impact. So I think there's I think there's some really good resources out there which we can talk about another time. But here, here for me is, 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 is the way to do it, which is from the book of Deuteronomy. It's very organic, right? So um, it says, it says um, God's uh, speaking through Moses to the people. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine, God's word, in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Listen, you shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, and when you're walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Do you, you hear that? So basically, as you go about life, you talk about the things of God. You, what you don't want to do is create a really strange situation where you have your family God slot, and that's it. I think family God slots are fine. You know, We're not brilliant at it, but I think if you, if you nail it down, it's a brilliant thing. But to just be talking about the things of the Lord as you go about life, is is very natural and godly thing to do, and 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 then your children will understand this is life. This isn't a slot in life. This is life. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. All things are made by Him, through Him, and for Him. It's a holistic deal you're trying to bring them into. And if you are genuinely living for Christ, just let that overflow out. The 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 best thing you can do is just to be an example of living this thing out as best you can. And when you get it wrong, apologize and say to your kids that there that wasn't like Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. 
your kids will, will grow up with some, an example to follow. So it's not, you don't, don't have to overcomplicate um, this. I want to mention, talk about smacking quickly, because I know it's controversial culturally and all of that. So just to say, smacking is, we, we, we are, as a family, um, has been part of our discipline package. Okay? It's by no means the only thing we do. So take the biblical example of, of, of kind of exhortation, saying to kids, don't do this, here's why, and all these sorts of things. But when there is continued deliberate defiance, then we, then we will smack our children, no longer the two oldest, because there's a age where it no longer becomes appropriate, but, um, but we, will, we have all, all of them, we have done that with. Now, smacking, you've got to just define what I mean by that. I do not mean, for one minute, um, losing self-control and lashing out. It's totally inappropriate, abusive, wrong. Okay, it's never an expression of anger. It's never, it's just something that you just do in the moment. In fact, if you feel like doing it in the moment, you know that's not the time to do it. <laughs> Okay, so it's all very, very self-controlled. So we'll explain this is, you've done this and this is the consequence. And what you're really teaching your kids, you know, when you smack, this, our children, you smack it so that it hurts them, but it never harms them. Okay? Two very different things. So if you smack your child and it's not going to hurt them, that's not a smack. That's called tickling your child. Okay? It's a different thing. It's just a game. Okay? So a smack is things. Okay? But there's never any harm in terms of physically or psychologically. You should explain. And what you're basically teaching your children is this, is that when you, when you act like that, the, the consequences are painful. The beauty of smacking is that it's quick. It doesn't drag on all day. That You're not on a naughty step for three and a half hours. It is just, okay, the smack happens. The apology happens. The complete forgiveness and reconciliation happens. The whole thing lifts. We're all having fun. In five minutes' time, as if nothing had happened. It's like the gospel. You confess your sin, you genuinely mourn it, you repent before God, he forgives you, he cleanses you, he separates it from you as far as Jesus from the West, we're back on. Yeah? It's a picture of the gospel. So, now we know that it's culturally a little bit um, controversial and it's got some bad press and we understand why, um, and it's definitely not the only thing you do. It's just, you, that's, that's just lazy parenting. Um, it definitely, it's the vast majority of it is about instruction, kind of warning, exhortation, but but that is part of the package, and we're comfortable that it is. And so, I just want to finish by saying, God models all of this to us as Christians. When you become a Christian, you become a child of God. Okay, so you are adopted into the family, and He does all of this. He does not provoke us to anger. Hallelujah! If you are feeling tormented, it's not by God. Okay? If you are feeling tormented in your mind and your heart, in a kind of a cloud of confusion of madness and craziness, and you're feeling, this is all God, it's, it's, it, it, that is not God who is doing that. Okay? doesn't treat his children like that. He's not a God of confusion, he's a God of order. Okay? So that's not God who's doing it. He instructs you through his word and by his spirit and by fellowship of the saints. He, he brings uh, encouragement, exhortation and warning, and he also disciplines us. There is a discipline that, he, that is reserved for their children. For God's children. It's, if, if, if you're a Christian and you're under the discipline of God, it shows you really do belong in his family. It's a sign of acceptance, not rejection. When I first saw this, this was amazing because growing up for me, discipline was always, well, most of the time, done badly. And I always associated it with rejection. And then, and then I, I knew as a Christian there were certain seasons where I was under God's discipline. And I thought, he, he no longer loves me. He's, he's rejected me. And I read in Proverbs and in Hebrew, Proverbs 3 and Hebrews 12, it talks about the fact that when God disciplines you, it's because you are a son that he loves. And he's not willing to let you run off like some kind of wild kid, but that you're part of his family and therefore he will discipline you. It's like sometimes when I remember a couple of times, you know, a couple of smacking moments with the kids when I said, why don't you smack all the other kids? 
and I say, because they're not mine. And that's quite a profound spiritual point. God disciplines the, the, the children that he loves that are his and his family. If you, if you as a believer have known that, you've known I've been under the discipline of God, hallelujah, you belong to the family. It is a vital part of loving fatherhood. It is always for your good. It's never pleasant at the time, but it always produces a harvest of righteousness. And the Bible says respond to it. Well, let it do its work because it will produce in you what, what, what other things never could. It's part of his provision for you. So I just want to say, Guys, he is your loving father. It's so great how the songs have gone this morning and where we're going and the prophetic words that have come because it so ties in with this. Um, but we must allow our minds to be renewed so we, so we receive his fatherhood, not just in terms of um, the embrace, which we must, but the full scope of his commitment to bring us to maturity. That's what a father does. A father saying, I am, I've been entrusted with this child. And they're not mine, they're God's. But I've been entrusted with them for a period of time to nourish them, to nurture them, and to see them grow into all they could be. And we will always be in relationship together, I trust, but they won't always be under my care. It's a wonderful image of how God has adopted us into his family and is absolutely committed to bringing us into the likeness of Christ. Amen.